and welcome to Farscape Friday, episode 26. We'll be talking about the season two episode, Crackers Don't Matter. Let's get started. Welcome back. I'm Kay here with my co-host Taz. Hello. Here's a quick summary to get us started. The crew brings aboard a scientist named Traltex who claims to be able to make Moya invisible. After proving his abilities on in a test run, he guides the ship towards his workshop on the far side of some pulsars. On the way, the crew turns on each other, leaving John to work out Traltex's plan while avoiding the whispers of his own mental Scorpius. Welcome to the darkness. So this is my first question. Is paranoia pollen a trope? Because I was trying to think of what to call what's going on here. The trope that happens is the crew is all turning on each other because of external factors that are not under their control. Mm-hmm. And the result in Farscape is simultaneously hilarious, aside from a couple scenes that we'll talk about. But it's also really dark. There's a lot of black humor in this episode, and the characters are really vicious with each other. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. This episode is one of the most iconic episodes of Farscape. Like, I think if you talk to somebody who only vaguely likes the show or watched it once, you know, 10 years ago, they would be able to remember Crackers Don't Matter. It's just so iconic. And actually, now that you mention it maybe being a trope, it did remind me a little bit of that episode from Star Trek, the original series mm-hmm. where all the whole crew kind of devolves and it's got like Sulu fencing shirtless. And yeah. You know, you know the one yeah, I'm talking it, about? Yes. Yeah, early in the first season. I'm trying to remember the name of it and I can't, I'm blanking on a muck time. A muck time. There it is. Okay. Yeah. Where everyone is just cut down to their baser instincts. It's everybody without a filter. Everyone is mean to each other. And there's like all those hidden thoughts that you don't say in polite company because they're your friends. They're saying to each other here while, you know, shooting at each other and being suspicious of each other and overall turning on each other over the eponymous crackers. That is like Mm -hmm. the, the baseline of why they're all mad at each other. They're all worried about the crackers that they think everyone is stealing from each other. And Farscape is a really cool show because it does this neat thing where one of the funniest episodes is also the darkest. In a lot of ways, it kind of reminded me of DNA Mad Scientist also from season one, because in DNA Mad Scientist, you had characters making packs with each other, characters doing really dark things. I mean, they cut off Pilot's arm. They locked Rigel in his quarters with the threat of starving him to death. So in DNA Mad Scientist, they actually did those dark things. And I think what's interesting about Crackers Don't Matter is there's a lot of verbal stuff and there is some physical things that go down. But it's also just this hilarious episode. Mm -hmm. Like it's dark and hilarious. And I don't know very many other TV shows that that are able to pull off a comedic episode like this without the darkness kind of overtaking the comedy. Right. Or or the comedy, like, explaining away the darkness. Does that make sense? Yeah. Where the comedy gives the darkness a pass because it very much does not in this episode. 
Yeah, so let's just kind of dive in. So the the opening of this episode is they've gone to a commerce planet to buy food cubes, food. They have to come back early because there are wanted beacons for them all over the place on the commerce planet, which has Scorpius saying, John Crichton is a wanted man. So they get out of their toot suite and they only had time to buy, what they call them, food rectangles, dry food. Dry food rectangles, which, and John's like, crackers? You just bought crackers? And they look like graham crackers. So I think they might have been eating graham crackers all episode, the actors. I don't know if, I don't know if that's true or not. Actually, I'm going to argue. Okay. They looked a lot like saltines to me. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. Which actually just made me really hungry for soup. (laughs) I actually have no idea what they are. They look like graham crackers to me, but I wasn't actually paying that close attention either. So in addition to the the dried food rectangles, they have also, they being Aaron, Chiana, and Zan, they have also brought aboard Traltix, who is the scientist who claims that he can make Moya invisible so that Scorpius can't find them. But he has to take them to his workshop on another planet in the solar system to do that. Let's start with John in this episode because we see him continue to be super protective of the crew in this opening bit and super distrustful of everybody else. He does not mm-hmm. believe Traltix is who he says he is. He doesn't think that Traltix is going to do right by them. He compares him to uh, an infomercial salesman on TV. <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. That whole that whole bit is just like so funny because he's talking about you know I once bought these knives and he said they would cut my car in half and you know what they did they did not cut my car in half <laughs> you know he's great and like all of his southernisms I feel like John progressively gets more southern the longer the show mm-hmm. goes on I don't know if that makes sense no it's true and this episode in particular is very heavy with the earthisms I actually watched the first four episodes of season two in a row because I couldn't stop myself right before we recorded season one or season two, episode one. So it's only when you really see those four episodes so close together that you notice that a really ongoing theme in season two has been John's paranoia, has been John's distrust. And actually, to be honest, in a lot of cases, it's like John's just plain orneriness. I don't know if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. No, it does. It does. He's like, he's, so in season one, he's been the character to try and give other people that they meet the benefit of the doubt. And it's like, oh, let's just talk to them. Let's, let's try and work things out with words and not shoot each other with guns. But here he's like, I don't want to talk to them. They're going to hurt us. Let's not talk to them. Why are we even talking to these people? Let's just shoot them and leave. Mm-hmm. You know? So it's a, very radical change in his personality and his approach to problems and his approach to other people that we're seeing here at the beginning of season two. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it because, and, and this is where I kind of, it does become a question for me because I don't know if I'd started watching Farscape season two, episode one, and that was the John I got to know. I don't know if I would really have continued watching because I don't really enjoy watching television about unpleasant people. I mean, there are some exceptions. I I genuinely enjoyed Deadwood and I really loved The Wire. But in general, like characters that are grumpy all the time don't really do it for mm-hmm. me. And so I think that as a viewer, you really have to have that kind of season one bounce, if it makes sense. Like you have to have seen fluffy John so that you understand <laughs> that this is not John. 
or this is not yeah. the John that that came from Earth. Yeah, or he's still the same John, but he has been transformed by his experiences in the Uncharted Territories, because that's really what we're seeing here. Mm-hmm. The after effects of all that he's been through. Mm-hmm. So Traltix proves that he can turn Moya invisible by turning John's pod invisible. John doesn't really believe it because John doesn't see it, because obviously John is in his module when this is happening. And also it doesn't quite go as far as like the nose of his module. So he misses out on seeing himself invisible. But then he's talking to Pilot after and and it just they have like they have like the funniest line and I laughed out loud and we didn't clip it because it doesn't really add a lot to analyzation. But John was like, yeah, and I turned out fine. My module turned out fine. And Pilot was like, well, well, I well minorly concerned about you. I'm more concerned about its effect on Moya. And I was like <laughs> on the floor laughing. <laughs> pilot and his snarkiness. Yes. Oh yes. Snarky pilot is the best. So the main plot of this episode really begins when they start flying through these pulsars. There's five pulsars uh, that they have to go through to get to the other side of the solar system where Traltix's workshop is. And Traltix says, while well, everyone's on command, he says, so the light from these pulsars has been known to change the behavior of lesser species. And that's a theme that runs through this episode is the, who is superior, who is deficient, who is greater or lesser species. Mm-hmm. And so he says, it probably won't affect you guys, but it might affect you guys. And basically blaming the light of the pulsars for what is going to happen because of his presence on there. And it's one of the reveals at the end, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it up front because it can be confusing. Traltix is the source of the problem. Mm -hmm. So they're like, okay. And then slowly, very slowly, the paranoia starts to creep in. It's not overt at first. It's just like everyone's irritated with each other. And then they all start talking about the crackers and who has been eating the crackers and who's going to steal the crackers And it starts to get a little bit off. And you notice that everybody is acting a little off. Mm -hmm. Xan also acts off, but she's acting off because of of the light and because of Traltic's presence. They do the same thing to her because she goes back into happy photogasm mode. Actually, that that quote from Pilot earlier really does feel kind of like the beginning of this because we know snarky pilot like he exists Mm -hmm. but his reaction to john kind of is like a little bit unexpected so you kind of get the feeling from the beginning of the episode that the whole crew just from john's reaction to like you are you only came back with these crackers and like aaron talking about the beacon and and everybody is kind of already edgy on each other. You can kind of feel the sandpaper. Like it's a little bit like sandpaper mm-hmm. rubbing against each other. They're kind of already at that heated point. So when Traltix starts affecting them, it kind of immediately goes from like a level three to like a level, you know, to like breaks the scale level 11. Like there is mm-hmm. there is this like slow transition, but it occurs, it essentially goes from... John being like, hey, Chiana, are you eating your fair share of crackers or are you eating all of our crackers to like Dargo assaulting Rigel? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I got to say, Dargo's attack on Rigel is one of the most disturbing things of this entire episode. There's two really disturbing ones. And this is the first. And it does happen very early on. So the situation is Chiana has told Dargo privately that Rigel is 
eating and stealing all the crackers. And of course, because Rigel is our gluttonous character, Dargo, of course, believes it. And so he walks in on Rigel getting some crackers and then basically attacks him, shoves him down on the table in the central chamber and then starts shoving crackers in his mouth. It is really physical. It's really very much of a shaming. You know, Mm -hmm. you want some crackers, you're going to have some crackers. It's not like Dargo at all to be, or at least the Dargo who has he has come to be, to be this brutal and this petty, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. His normal interactions with Rigel at this point are like, you're beneath me. I don't even need to touch you because you're so, you know, mm-hmm. you're my shipmate. I don't particularly like you, but I don't need to bother myself with you. Whereas here, he's making it a very distinct point to be the bully, to be the one to teach Rigel a lesson. Yeah, while he's shoving crackers down Rigel's throat, Rigel can't breathe. Like when mm-hmm. Dargo eventually lets him up, Rigel is panting because it, the implication was that Dargo was almost about to kill him by, you mm-hmm. know, like stuffing him with crackers so he couldn't breathe. And it is interesting because it it did develop so quickly. Like it goes from John mentioning crackers to Chiana to Chiana trying to, you know, pin the cracker thing on Rigel to Dargo assaulting Rigel. And and that as a viewer is your first indication that something's wrong. But when you look at it from a character perspective, even Dargo is a little bit taken aback by his actions. But I think because of the wording of the lesser species thing, no one really thinks that it is anything yet. Right, because how could they be affected by it? Mm -hmm. And the thing that struck me also about that scene is Rigel's, this is the puppetry kind of, blowing me away again but Rigel is crying at the end of it like you can see tears on his face around his eyes and whatnot and it's just this is Rigel who is yes he's annoying and yes he will turn on them and yes he is a thief and he will you know be self-interested and all those things but yeah he's so physically smaller he's so much smaller than the rest of them physically and he really is at their mercy not to kill him mm-hmm. you know and he is in that moment so put down and he's crying and it's, he's couldn't struggle to get away from Dargo because Dargo is literally like 10 times his size. Mm-hmm. It's, my heart broke a little for Rigel right there. Yeah, no, I mean, we we really rarely get to have Rigel as an actual sympathetic character versus a character who's just playing himself for sympathy, if that makes sense. And yeah. this was a moment where... Yeah, genuinely, if you did not feel bad for this puppet, then there is something wrong with you (laughs) in your heart, (laughs) and I am judging you. (laughs) But it isn't just Dargo versus Rigel, which they can be really aggressive with each other. They're both, you know, they're both kind of used to being in charge characters. It actually also begins to happen with everybody. So Chiana comes in, and Aaron is working on the beacon because In the Western episode, we learned that sometimes there can be hidden messages on the beacon. And so Aaron wanted to see if there was any more information like Scorpius's location or just anything on the beacon. And Shiana comes in and it's really interesting because the scene is at once like you could see everybody thinking this is normal. This is me Mm -hmm. just being very annoyed at the people that I'm with 24 hours a day. 24 arms a day I don't know (laughs) but so uh, you just have to listen to how quickly it escalates and kind of the fallout here we go
you. Stop it. What are you hiding? Oh, come on. Let me see it. If there's nothing on there, then show me the whole message. Back off, Gianna. Oh, oh, sister. I think maybe you should back off. Sam told us you were... What the hell is going on here? Nothing. She won't lend me the message. There's a hidden message on there, and she won't show it to me. She's out of a frilling mind. There's nothing on there. Show her the message. What? Show her the message. If there's nothing secret on the beacon, then show her the message, and she can get the hell out of here. Wait a minute. Why do you want me to watch it? What's on there you want me to see? Mm. You know what? Eric's right. You're freaking insane. Thank you. What's going on in here? Go back to your mountain, Grizzly. You're not wanted here. They're up to something? They are. They're working together. First of all, they don't want me to watch the beacon, and now they want me to watch the beacon. Oh, yeah. I could give a squirrel's nut what you want. <laughs> Why won't you show her what's on the beacon? You get your hands off of me! Oh, I don't think so! Aaron! Dargo! What the hell are we doing? Look at it. We're fighting over lousy crackers and secret messages that don't exist. You know, we were never normal guys. Someone want to tell me what's happening? Sorry, John. That's all right, champ. Just as soon as we get past the pulsars, everything will be back to normal. I hope so. And Gianna, feel free to take a look or not take a look. I, I really don't care. That's right. Well, I'll do uh, what I want to do. Great. Okay. You know, I was only trying to be polite! <laughs> Aaron yelling at the end. Oh my gosh. So you can, <laughs> so you can see kind of the escalation. It's like a bickering argument between Aaron and Shiana. And Shiana, as soon as she gets her, you know, as soon as they offer to show her, she changes her mind. And it's not until Dargo comes in and hits John and he has like a blow to the head that he kind of snaps out of it for a minute. It's like, why are we fighting you guys? Mm -hmm. So you can see kind of he's starting to realize that something's going wrong after getting hit in the head and has a physical cognitive reset, as they say in the Marvel Universe. <laughs> <laughs> But at the same time, you can also see how, even though they are all deadly serious about, you know, wanting to see the message on the beacon or not wanting to see it or whatever, it's a really funny situation to the audience. And that's part of how this episode just really works as a storytelling thing. Mm -hmm. It's very entertaining for us to watch because they're acting so weird and out of character and yet, it's the situation that has escalated already to Dargo hitting people and them fighting and, you know, all of these things that are going to continue to culminate into even more dangerous situations. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's actually true. I think that the reason Crackers Don't Matter works as a funny episode is because you have the contrast of them from Mind the Baby. Of, like, them mm -hmm. as, like, the working unit family. Everybody loves each other them kind of as a as a unit mm -hmm. so yeah. like the reason that's the reason that 
that crackers don't matter is so funny just because of like Chiana coming in and being like, first they first they wa- don't want me to watch the message and now they do want me to watch the message, which as like as like a sane person, you're like, yeah, because there's nothing there. Like somebody would only want you to wa- like not watch and then watch something if they were trying to be like, yeah, there's nothing here to watch. But she's directly contradicting herself yeah. too. And that's the other part of it is like there's no logic to it. Yeah. Logic has gone out of the window for everybody. Yeah. And I just, oh my gosh, like Aaron in this episode is <laughs> her so, face. Uh, okay. I t- we talked a little bit about in Taking the Stone how like Aaron has this like constant expression on her face the whole episode of being like, I am clinging to patience because I understand that I am the only adult on this planet. And here, it's kind of like the same feeling where she's like constantly on edge, you know, like she's, yeah. she's always like biting her thumbnail and she's like, you know, and that end scene, like she's got this like terrific smile on her face kind of being like, you can watch it. You cannot watch it. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, her facial expressions throughout this entire episode as she's like going through all of these these different things where Gianna's on her last nerve, Rigel's on her last nerve, John's on her last nerve. It's just terrific to watch. You can already see in that quote right there that there are some alliances developing. And actually, I want to talk about the first alliance. Well, actually, no, it's a second because I think that Chiana getting Dargo to go after Rigel really was like the first alliance to be born. Yeah. But pretty much the fast second is Aaron allying herself with Rigel. And I want to play it, and then I want to kind of talk about why I think it was an interesting narrative choice. Rigel, I know you're down here. Let go of me! Did Dargo send you to finish the job? Be quiet. I'm not going to hurt you yet. But I don't want anybody to hear us, so shut up. I don't like you, Rigel. I think you're a coward and a sonnet, but maybe that's why I can trust you. You'd be too much of a coward to betray me. I trust you too, Eric. Shut up! <laughs> now I've got a plan and I need somebody to watch my back against the others. <laughs> Do you want to volunteer? And that sound near the end is her arming her pulse rifle and holding it right at point blank range to Rigel's head who he and he is hiding in the ducks after the encounter with Dargo and it's like of course he's going to say yes Aaron you have a gun to his head I think what I love like the most about that though is in the middle where Rigel is like I trust you too Aaron and she's like shut up (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah he's definitely trying to get into her good graces I mean Rigel I read is as the one who is affected kind of last of everybody. Mm-hmm. We're still putting Xan in her own category because she's affected very differently from everybody else because of how she re- reacts as a plant to light. But he he is not immediately paranoid the same way everyone else is. He's like normal paranoid, mm-hmm. <laughs> the way that Rigel usually is about everyone being out to get him. Mm-hmm. And maybe that masks the effects on him or something. Later on, he becomes definitely more paranoid. But at the beginning, he is not so much. Actually, really, would you say that? Because I think that now that you've pointed it out, I think there is an argument to be made that Rigel isn't affected at all. 
Do you know what I mean? Oh, really? Yeah, because, I mean, when you think about it, this is Rigel we're talking about. Like, pretty it's much true. everything that he does is in character. I mean, I guess at the end he does get, like, a little slap happy. That's yeah. maybe... But I think that's kind of as far as I would go with it because... I kind of feel like everything he has done so far in the episode and everything he does after this point is something he could have ar- he could have arguably done without any sort of nefarious contact. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Yeah, he would have said shoot John. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, that's definitely true. So I guess I guess that's why I say masking it because we actually really then don't really know the extent of how much he is affected. Or is this just the effect, how, you know, getting into the nitty gritty of how this, how this light, this whatever child sex is giving off affects them? Is it just stripping away that kind of, you know, filter, that kind of impulse control, whereas Rigel's doesn't have any impulse control and has no filter already. Mm -hmm. So, you know, yeah, no, there's, there's definitely an argument to be made there. Yeah. Aaron and Rigel teaming up. I really wanted to talk about that because the natural ally for Aaron would obviously be John. Mm-hmm. And instead she goes to Rigel, mm-hmm. which I think narratively is really interesting because their alliance is by far the funniest. It just provides like the <laughs> most it provides the most comedy and at the same time, like the most nitty gritty cool stuff you know going on Mm -hmm. they're the odd couple yeah yeah and it actually okay and there's like a lot of I think there's a lot of interesting callbacks in this episode because Aaron and Rigel immediately go up to command where Aaron kind of like barricades them in there and then they have like a lot of scenes that really remind me of Durka Returns Mm -hmm. just because it's both of them in command Aaron trying to take over the ship and also them being just, like, brutally honest with each other. Like, Aaron's yeah. disrespect for Rigel was only tempered by that moment in Durka Returns. She's never really seen anything from him since then that would increase her any admiration she has for him. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting pairing. And, you know, when she says, I think I can trust you just because you're too cowardly to do anything against me, it's not necessarily a wrong judgment that she's making Mm -hmm. about that like she can trust his motivations because she knows them already and she doesn't feel like anything he does will be a surprise to her and so she can say okay if we're allies now then you watch my back because basically she's asking him to be a lookout that's my read on it because he's physically is not you know like any of the others Mm -hmm. and he can also get into places that are locked up Mm -hmm. you know like the crackers for instance because that's initially what they go after Mm -hmm. so it makes sense from a tactical point of view it makes sense for her to to pick him and then go straight to command where they basically are in as much control of moya as they can be Mm -hmm. is that why you think that Aaron went for rigel instead of john because she can trust his greed i think so that's the only reason i could think of because why else would she go out, go for him if we're speaking logically? Now, this episode has the characters doing lots of illogical things. Mm-hmm. But I feel like Aaron, of all of them, acts the most rationally. I really don't know. Hmm. It's one of the mysteries of this episode to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think narratively also the writers needed John to be on his own because John couldn't really have an ally in this situation. John, after that physical contact with Dargo punching him... 
He actually slightly kind of pulls it together for a little while and he asks Pilot to run a scan on the pulsars because he realizes that none of them are lesser species and all of them are being affected. Meanwhile, Traltex has already talked to Pilot and says, Pilot, why do you trust these people? You shouldn't trust them at all. Well, actually, it's even more interesting than that to me because Traltex doesn't say you shouldn't trust these people. He literally is just like, do you like them? (laughs) And Pilot's like, you know what? I really don't. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, but the subtext is there. Yeah, I mean, it definitely is the subtext of like, hey, you shouldn't like these people. But I think it also calls back to Pilot's conversation earlier in the episode when Traltex first got on board, where he was like, I'm only really minorly concerned about you, Crichton. Like, I actually do not care about you at all kind of thing. (laughs) And so I think that that's what I'm saying about like kind of being like sandpaper already, where everybody is already on edge. Mm -hmm. And then actually it ends up culminating when John comes to see if Pilot has done his scans. (laughs) Let's play that clip. I'm only judging on my experience with you, but I've never seen such a deficient species. Have you run the scan on the pulsar light yet? How do humans make it through a cycle even half a cycle without killing each other. We find it difficult to have you run the scan. You have no special abilities. You're not particularly smart, can hardly smell, can barely see, and you're not even vaguely physically or spiritually imposing. Is there anything you do well? Watch football. Have you run the scan? Nobody trusts you, Crichton. Do you know that? Sometimes they pity you, you know, because of your incompetence. Something but you done, use you do us, and that don't touch my tongue. Oh, you want to talk about incompetence? Go I've been away. away with dump your ass in a heartbeat if she had a torch. I warned you. <laughs> oh my god, I just love it. I love him being so bitchy about Crichton. Yeah, and meanwhile John is like, you can see him trying to hold his tongue. And not, like, snap back at Pilot because he needs Pilot to run the scan. He's, like, got his head on his arm and keeps putting his mouth back on his arm. And then at the end, what he's doing is he's crawling onto the console. And then he gets in the slap fight with Pilot before Pilot boots his ass onto the floor. Um, well, and it, it's, like, so funny to be. It's just so funny. Like, Pilot's whole, ugh. I can't even get over him just, like, bitching about how stupid humans must be. Because that was like, but that was actually a really season one thing that felt very season yeah, yeah. one. Yeah, when everyone was always giving Triton a hard time for not knowing how to do things, not being able to open doors, for instance, way back in what episode two, mm-hmm. and and you, you, we've seen how far he's come, and we've seen his relationships with everyone, and now that pilot is taking them back all the way to like, you're this useless little creature, no one likes you, you everyone thinks you're stupid. <laughs> And you can't even see, you can't hear, and all the deficiencies. And I find it interesting that the litany of deficiencies, they're all, like, attributes. They're physical attributes. Mm-hmm. And they, they're they very, like, picking at, like, oh, you can't see well, obviously you're terrible. Oh, you can't hear well, obviously you're terrible. So it's, like, picking at his parts as opposed to seeing what he brings as a whole person to everything. And I know part of this is, like, everyone's just picking on each other and being mean yeah no, no and and I think the focus on physicality actually does have a lot to do with this episode because 
they all immediately go at each other very physically and very viscerally. And with that whole thing with Pilot, it's just also so unexpected. Because Pilot, don't get me wrong, like we've mentioned that we love bitchy Pilot. Like snarky Pilot is just hilarious and the best and underrated and awesome. But he's never actually that mean. Like he's not a really mean character. He's very gentle in a lot of ways. Yeah. And so I think that's kind of why this is like so funny. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's so funny just because it's like Pilot, who's really nice, listing all of John's faults. Yes. And not just his faults, but like his entire species faults. Because he goes on to be like, what are humans useful for? Why don't you always kill each other? (laughs) I love John's response. We find it very difficult. Yes, yes, we do. (laughs) At this point, you know, Traltic's obviously evil. I think one of the things I like about this episode is that it, the whole plot is like a plot. Do you know what I mean? There's no B plot here, which actually really works for the episode. There's no B plot because all the all the extra time is taken up with all the character work that's being done and everybody attacking each other and really exposing each other's raw rawness. Mm-hmm. Everyone kind of knows where everyone else's soft points are because they've been living together for a year. It's it's hard not to with what they've been through. Mm-hmm. But they politely ignore it because they all live together and they all generally like each other. Mm-hmm. But here you have the entire episode devoted to picking at all those little sore spots that everyone knows everyone else has and really trying to push buttons and really hurt each other. And that's what you really see with the rest of the time is all that character stuff. So even though John is the one that kind of realizes that there's something going on and he's the one that realizes that they are not lesser species and they're still being affected in this really weird way, he also is still experiencing some of Traltix's effects. He ends up running into Chiana with the beacon. So Chiana's at the beacon. I remember this because she needs him in the nuts. Oh, yeah, that's right. And he falls on the floor. And she has left the beacon on the floor. And this is what happens afterwards. Name John Wright. Oh. Name John Wright. Just don't get it. Don't get it, Scorpion. Don't get how crazy they are. You're right, John. They don't get it. They don't get how crazy they are. Of course. Because they stole the crackers. So, what you just heard was the beacon playing the image of Scorpius that he recorded. And then Scorpius walking off the beacon in John's head. Mm -hmm. John is hallucinating Scorpius. And it is one of the most brilliant things the show has done. Because they wanted to keep the actor Wayne Pigram on because he was so brilliant at Scorpius. But they didn't want to make Scorpius a stupid villain. And so they're like, how can we keep him around? Well, let's drive, drive John a little nuts and have Scorpius appear in this episode. And it's really great it's really creepy because you know you just know that john is really starting to crack up here Mm -hmm. and he knows it too which is even better because there's this underlying current of oh gosh we are really in trouble now because i am seeing things and i am seeing this guy who tortured me and 
He even says it to Aaron at one point later on, and I think we'll play that quote in a minute. This is how bad it has gotten with the situation with Chaltics. Yeah. I think normally the way it narratively would go would be that main character realizes something's going on. Main character is the only one holding it together while everybody else is acting insane. And I think what Mm -hmm. really works here is that John is also crazy. And John is not immune to Chaltics' effects. John immediately then runs into Dargo and they have this moment and these are two guys that have essentially become blood brothers. You know, they're, mm-hmm. they're, you know, comrades in war. They've got each other's backs and Scorpius is just like this whisper in John's ear. And it's really interesting to hear because at this point we aren't sure if this is John's id or if it's just, you know, Traltix. If Traltix doesn't just make everybody crazy, he makes everybody like murderous or what's going on. So this is what happens when John encounters Dargo. Good boy. Go on. Kill me. Go on, John, do it. Then we can go to the beach. I know a place with naked Sebastian girls and margarita shooters. Go away, Scooby. You're not real. Yeah, so that was John shooting Dargo. Yeah. (laughs) And at the beginning, you know, he's got, he comes upon Dargo and awares Dargo drops his weapon, and that's when he says, You should just kill me. But what gets me about the John and Dargo scenes is the language that John uses with Dargo. Mm. Because here he's like, Good boy. He talks to Dargo like he's a dog. You know, earlier on he called him Grizzly, which is like a bear. The language he's using treats Dargo like an animal. Like he is stupid. Like he is, all he is is an animal drive. And it's hugely disrespectful and it really bugs me. And I think partly it bugs me because that's the way that African-Americans in our country have been talked to for so much of our history. Mm -hmm. Like their children are animals. And I don't know, that just got me in the gut, especially with how their friendship has gone so far. And especially after seeing Vetus Mortis again, where the bond between them is so clear and so strong to be, see it all stripped away right here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good connection. I hadn't, I'll be honest, I hadn't really picked up on that. But now that you mention it, it is really uncomfortable. The next character that John runs into is Chiana. Mm -hmm. He essentially pins her up to a wall and he's about to shoot her. And then Scorpius says, let's save her for dessert, which is, ew. Yeah. Yeah, but it's not just that, though. But he has her pinned against the wall. I think it's implied that he wants to have sex with her. The way he's up in her hair, you know, is all the cues that you would get for a rape scene. Mm-hmm. And is hugely uncomfortable and deeply disturbing. And I think it's meant to be seen that way. Yeah. It is just... And then the Scorpius in his ears was suggesting to save her and it's, for later. And it's just... That was the hardest scene to watch for me for this episode. Because that's when it's not funny. That's when it's just dark. Yeah. I, I will agree. You're not... This is in a really uncomfortable scene. But I also kind of feel like the show then tries to make it okay, which that actually was yeah. what I had more of a problem. That's where with. I really had problems too, and at the end, and we could talk about that at the end. Well, let's. I, but that I want to talk about it 
now just real quick because we're talking about it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So at the end when everybody's making apologies and we'll, and we'll get there, we promise you guys. But at the end, you know, John kind of tries to apologize to Chiana and she's like, oh no, that was really cool. Where'd you come up with that? Wah, wah, wah. And I was like, what? That, yeah, that was, that was the worst part with the show trying, I felt like the show the writer is trying to make it okay and make us not hate this dark part of John that clearly exists within him. Yeah. Actually, it is interesting to me because I, I can kind of see what they were trying to do, which is that Chiana didn't really take it seriously. Like Chiana thought that he was just playing almost, but I'm like, also like, nah, I think if any of the characters know about rape, it's Chiana. Not only that, but her facial expression in the scene itself is not one of somebody not taking it seriously. Like, she is afraid. Mm -hmm. Like, she is seriously afraid that he is going to hurt her violently. Yeah. That that actually does bring up a question for me, though, because throughout this whole episode, I'm not really sure if Trotix is just... Because I don't think he's just getting rid of their filter. I don't think that it's Mm -hmm. just, like, a filter that's keeping John from raping Chiana or killing Aaron Mm -hmm. or killing Dargo. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm kind of like, I'm wondering what it is that he brings out in them. If just he like makes them more violent. Could be. I mean, they certainly are more violent. Yeah. Filter was just me reaching for words because they're all very quick on the trigger. You had Dargo trying to strangle Rigel earlier. You have Aaron putting, pointing a gun, not only at John and everybody else, but at her own head. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just, there's all these little things and I think, you know, John even says it a little bit in that last quote. It's like, are we, you know, am I being irrational? And I think maybe it's not just taking away rational thought. It's just there's something else coming out. Yeah, that is kind of the thing that we, we get in, like, episodes like this a lot. Like, I'm kind of thinking about that Star Trek Next Generation episode that was kind of also like a muck time where they go to, like, the edge oh. of the universe and they all start yeah. acting weird. yeah. And like Data takes a shower or something like that. No, Data has sex. <laughs> Data has sex. <laughs> Somebody takes a shower though. Um, I can't remember who. Weirdly. Anyway. Yeah. That was never mind. Just forget me. <laughs> it's been a long time since I've watched Next Gen. But you know, we were all we were supposed to understand that these were like deep seated parts of themselves that were coming out to play. And I think just mm-hmm. weirdly enough, it's mostly John's characterization that feels so much like this cannot be a part of his character to me, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like John killing people. I could see John raping someone. I just can't see that. Yeah. No, I see what you mean. Yeah. I don't know. I don't have a good answer for that because it's really hard, especially with how the episode presents it as they think it's the pulsars. They think it's the light. It's really trial ticks. Does that mean something else is going on with it? I don't know. Mm -hmm. So after running into Chiana, who he then lets get away, what happens with her? I can't remember. No, no. He he knocks her out. He cold cold clocks her because he's collecting people. Oh, that's right. Okay. So after collecting Chiana. Not for serial killer reasons. Don't worry. No, totally for (laughs) serial killer reasons. So that's literally it at first is that he's like killing them. He's like collecting them for serial killer reasons. (laughs) He he goes back to Aaron and and Rigel, and, Rigel. Yeah. and I want to play that interaction because on a lot of levels it feels different than his interaction with Chiana but also listen for kind of how they are picking at each other this is becoming a problem you're going to need professional help with first you betray the peacekeepers and every vow you've made since you were born and now poor Sparky here <laughs> tell me princess when you're old and fat 
Will you have anything to look back on with pride? Is that it? Oh, don't stop. Why don't you make another speech, you self-important, deficient little man? All you ever do is talk! Your father was the hero, you know. He did things. You, you're just this test monkey that screwed up your first experiment. <laughs> that is good! <laughs> that is fantastic! Coming from a frigid, flat-butted peacekeeper skank! <laughs> Kill her! Then we'll have pizza and margarita shooters. Go on, John. Kill her. Do it. Do it. Nobody has margaritas with pizza. You're out of your mind, John. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Are you cracking up, little man? Ah. Uh, Hello? I'm okay, Aaron, listen to me. No, 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 no. I am tired of having to always listen to you. Aaron? Listen, I just shot Scorpius. Shut up. What the two of them choose to pick at each other are like the fundamental things that, that have defined them through season one. So you have Aaron and her choices about being with or without the peacekeepers and her rejecting peacekeeper culture and he's accusing her of breaking every vow she's ever made even though he was the one originally encouraging it and then with him it's like his value as a scientist and as an astronaut and how he is not really as great as he thinks he is because he messed up his one experiment mm -hmm. and so two deeply fundamental things about each other and what I do find kind of interesting different is that here they both laugh at each other for trying to insult them that way it's like they're so secure in who they are in a funny way that they're like that's it that's what you're gonna throw at me you can hear it in Aaron's voice you hear it in John's voice and so I'm wondering how much of that is at this point the two of them knowing or at least with John I don't know knowing that the that it doesn't matter mm. in a way like something else is going on? I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting perspective. Because actually, I, I really enjoyed that. Because with the other characters, it's the attacks aren't that personal. Do you know what I mean? Like the attacks... Yeah, they're physical. Yeah, it's all physical. It's all like, you are doing this thing right this second that bugs me. Right? Like, mm -hmm. you are stealing food. You know, you are allying yourself with John. You are, you are, you are, mm -hmm. right? And with Aaron and John, they like... They just really get at like the nitty gritty stuff that probably would have sent John for a tailspin last season or probably would have sent Aaron for a tailspin last season. And oh my God, I just, I love when she's like, when she's like, oh, make another speech, you self-important little man. <laughs> <laughs> like I laugh every single time because yeah, like John making speeches, it's kind of like, okay, it is a lot like on Community. When mm -hmm. they play that one clip episode that's like not a that's like a fake like, clip episode where it shows right. like all the speeches that Jeff has ever made, right? <laughs> and it's like that's kind of what this kind of gets at is that even though John is the main character in the TV show Farscape, he is not really the main character in everybody else's life, right? Right, and they're sick of and she's sick of listening to him at this point. So this is like the fourth time that John has interacted with this Scorpius hallucination and 
pizza and margaritas shooters for one is awesome line and it's also an iconic farscape line but but here again you have the devil on the shoulder encouraging john to do terrible things to his friends and i think what was interesting about this particular instance of scorpius showing up is that previously when john has realized that something's going wrong and has been when john um when Dargo punched him in the face, when Pilate physically knocked him onto the floor. But here, it's not a physical thing at all. He, he shoots the Scorpy hallucination, and you get all these little Scorpy heads, which is kind of creepy. But it's very much hallucinatory, dreamlike sort of thing. And But that's a trigger for John to be like, hey, something is really wrong here. Mm-hmm. And that's where you hear the change in his voice, and he says to Aaron, Aaron... You know, I just shot Scorpius. We gotta, we gotta fix this problem. I don't know quite what it means. I don't have a really good analysis of it, but I, I think it's interesting that the act of shooting this, this fake person, or this person he can't see, mm-hmm. is, is what triggers him to realize this is really bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Scorpius encouraging John to kill Aaron and to kill Dargo. That's not what set John off. I think it was just literally he was so irritated at having somebody like talking to him. Do you know what I mean? Like telling Mm -hmm. him what to do. Yeah. And then also I think that maybe it is like the real hallucinatory vision of like, Mm -hmm. you know, hundreds tiny Scorpius heads spinning around in a circle that kind of like did make him take a step back where maybe he wasn't. Maybe before it just kind of felt like, the fight he and Aaron were in was an extension of the irritation that everybody had already been feeling for each other. Yeah. That like, but then he was like, whoa, wait a second. That is Scorpius who is not on the ship. And I just shot him and he was wearing a Hawaiian shirt. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? That's the best part. Oh my gosh. Hawaiian shirt. Scorpius is the best. Yes. Yeah. It is interesting because like I said, there's no, a little bit like taking the stone. Like the the main conceit of this episode is never fully explained. And I think way yeah. back in season like in the first episode, one of the first things we said is Farscape is not always going to explain to you why things happen. Things will yeah. just happen. Yeah. Charltix is just sort of there to be the bad guy and do weird shit and then we never really find out why. I mean, I think there's a half, you know, little bit of an explanation that he says, but it's lost in all the rest of the episode because it really is not fundamental to the episode why it's happening. What matters is the result of what happens. Yeah. What matters is that it is happening. So at this point, John has collected all of his pieces. He has now made bingo. I I like that. So yeah, after that conversation, he and Aaron get into a firefight and we don't see it, but he knocks her out and drags her off with the others. Mm Mm-hmm. To the central chamber, where they're all handcuffed and tied up, except for Zan, who is just irritated. Oh, my gosh. It's like PMSE Zan <laughs> or something, but it's so funny because, like, he's, like, he's like trying to get her to explain to the others that she felt more around Traltics than around the Pulsars. And she's, like, she's, like, go away. I don't want to talk. And he, she's, like, you explain <laughs> it to them. And he's, like, no, no, no. If I explain it to them, they're not going to believe me. You got to explain it to them. And so yeah. – um, but actually the whole scene is so funny because like he is playing it like he's playing it like a game show. He's playing that character, that crazy John character that came out after the chair. Mm-hmm. But also like he keeps shooting the crackers and 
It's so They're funny. all stationed above everybody's head, too, so that when he shoots them, there's a shower of crackers that come flying down on top of their heads because they're all t- on the floor. And the best part is when Aaron eats the crackers that fall into her shirt. Oh, my gosh. That's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. I love that scene. Because, like, she's just she's totally, like, like, blasé about it at this point. She's like, whatever. <laughs> yeah. But what's funny is, is that as soon as he says, child sex is the problem, look at what's happening on Moya, they all kind of have that revelation moment you know that like oh oh yeah okay yeah this isn't normal and then they all get on board with a plan and they come together as a team to solve the problem and then we come back to why john is the one who had the brain space to realize what was going wrong and it kind of gets back to the whole list of of things that pilot says was was wrong with john and i want to play the it's basically the last little bit of that scene where what is wrong with John is what saves them all. Mm-hmm. On no warrior, I will kill Traldix. No, you will not. I will. You're no wounded. Way. I want the first shot. Look at you two bozos. You'd kill each other before you got anywhere near Traldix. He's right. He's got to do it. Why? Oh, don't you get it, Verbal? Look, Crichton's the only one not affected by Traldix because he's deficient. Who are you calling deficient? You. You've got the worst eyes out of all of us. That's why your optic nerves aren't being affected. I got great eyes. They're better than 2020, and they're blue. Okay. So, can you read the symbols on the basin over there? There's nothing there. <laughs> Warning. Don't flush corrosives. Down the waste tunnel. <laughs> That's all right. That's a joke. <laughs> Excellent. We're going to let blue eyes save the day. We better come up with a very good plan. I'm not deficient. I'm superior! Humans are superior. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I love it. (laughs) Yeah, oh my gosh, John. I love that Shiana's the one who kind of realizes that it's because of those, you know, because he doesn't see the same way that the rest of them do, that he's the one who, that's the reason why. It's not because he's smarter, not because of anything else. Oh, that's so funny. Or that he's mentally able to control control it or something. It's he's, He literally cannot see as well as they do. I also love that basins everywhere say the same thing. Don't pour corrosives down the drain. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a warning sign you would see in a lab somewhere. I know. Actually, that's like the weirdest part of this episode to me is because I'm like, are they in like, because I think they're just in the mess hall, you know? Yeah, <laughs> but that would make sense if it's like a public space. You don't want people to pour things that are going to corrode the piping. Oh, my gosh. OK, so they get John in like this gear and it's so funny. I can't even describe it. It's like this is the reason the episode was written, by the way, really, because David Kempar, I think, had the vision of this one scene of John decked out and all this stuff he's got he's got a shield that's going to reflect light because he has to go into Traltics where he's made Moya glow really brightly so he has to be protected from the light he's got a basically a, a thermal blanket that'll protect him from the light he's got a hat and he's got this paste smeared all over his face that Xan pre-digested <laughs> <laughs> which means it's puke Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, he goes in, slashes the wires. Traltex kind of loses it. And then he stabs Traltex and kills him. And I think we should talk about Mm -hmm. John Crichton, cold-blooded murderer. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because this is not something he would have done in season one at all. Mm -hmm. 
It might have been something he did early this season because he's been very trigger happy. But I'm not even sure he would have been this way without the Trolltick's effect on him mm. completely. Like, he's getting to that point, but I don't think he's there yet. I think this this murder, this killing of Trolltick's is definitely part of him still being in this altered state that the light has affected him with i like that a lot better because i was kind of searching for some context to put it in because we have seen him like a lot darker this season like in taking the stone when he's like i'm just gonna knock chiana out and take her back Mm -hmm. and he like and he legit does or in vetus mortis where he really wanted to do some violence to protect dargo and you know i mean in mind the baby you know like all of these episodes have really had these elements of john being able to perform violence, but to kind of go from being able to knock somebody out to being able to kill someone is the jump. Yeah. So I think, I think he's still affected a little bit or not a little bit. I think he's still affected by the light and that allows him, allows him to make that jump. Mm -hmm. But that said, he's super protective of the crew right now too. And so, and since this is a very real threat to them at the moment is tearing them apart, literally Mm -hmm. that he would do that. He would go ahead and, and it's, I don't think it's as far a jump, I guess is what I'm saying, as it might have been pre-season two. Yeah. Yeah, I could buy that. So then after Charltex is dead, we are kind of left with the fallout. And I want to play Dargo apologizing to Rigel because while a lot of really bad things happened this episode, the assault on Rigel really was one of the more visceral ones. And it is the one mm-hmm. that deserves the most apology. I've talked with everyone else. All I can say is I'm terribly sorry. Chaltik somehow brought out the worst in me. I think he brought out the worst in all of us, Pilot. Yes. Your apology is accepted. Thank you. Thank you both. I, uh... I am ashamed of what I did. I thought you were going to kill me. I'm sorry, Rigel. Can you forgive me? No. Not yet. Not yet. I think that's kind of one of the things I really like about how they handle the ending of this, Mm -hmm. with the exception of Chiana and John, is that there are lasting consequences for all the terrible things they did and said to each other mm-hmm. like they really legitimately hurt each other and it's not something they can just sweep away mm-hmm. and you hear that with Rigel not being able to do that yet he can't fully trust Dargo again not anytime soon but he will eventually and I think that's a really nice note for Rigel who usually doesn't get you know that kind of forgiveness little bits I don't know mm-hmm Yeah, and I think arguably, um, I'm trying to think if there's any exceptions, but I think arguably Rigel really hasn't had anybody have to ask him for forgiveness. Let me put it that way. Like no one in this show has really wronged Rigel enough to have to ask him for forgiveness. More more often we see Rigel being the one that kind of has to come and beg for forgiveness. Or the others caring enough about Rigel 
to want his forgiveness, which Dargo clearly does because he knows he crossed the line. He knew he crossed the line when he did it. I mean, you see it in his face. And I think that's a signal of how much Rigel's relationship with everybody has grown throughout. It's a small one, Mm -hmm. but it's still there, you know? Yeah. I I don't know. I think overall it is a good resting place for the episode because like in so many of the quotes we played, I was like laughing now. But I think... Okay, so at this point, you know, I watched it once, and the first time I watched it through, it was so funny. I mean, rewatched it, but when I rewatched yeah. it, it was funny. And then when I was watching it to take notes, I was kind of like, this is a dark, like, this is, there's yeah. some really not okay things happening here. And then now when I was listening to the quotes again, I was back to laughing. And I think it is because you really need to look at this from a place of, this is the reason it is funny is because the characters are out of character. No, it's a dark episode. That was actually my first note. Like this is way darker than I remembered it being. And I watched this episode a lot when it first aired, just because of that last scene with John with the, he's also carrying Dargo's Qualta blade with like the cape and the shield. And so he looks like a, a knight in shining armor of some sort. And then he play hums ride of the Valkyries. And Aaron says, we are going to die. And it was just hilarious. But for that to work, all this other stuff comes into play, and it's just, it's it's shockingly dark. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know how much darker you can get. Like, it feels darker than DNA Mad Scientist to me, mm-hmm. because you know where these people have come from. Like, DNA Mad Scientist, they were still really early on in their relationships. Here, everything they said and did to each other was a betrayal, because they already have relationships, because they already are a family of sorts. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't near strangers doing terrible things to each other it was friends doing terrible things to each other yeah yeah i would agree with that i would definitely agree that this is more dark than dna mad scientist i also think it's just kind of hilarious that for an episode this dark there's such a fixation on light yeah like i think that that was an interesting that's like an interesting (laughs) note is that like the whole episode is about light but it's such a dark episode yeah so i don't know what would you give this episode i would give it a five and maybe four and a half, five. Like, the emotional reaction I have to it is maybe not as great as some of the other ones, but the complexity of this episode and that they pull it off and that it is so hilariously funny while being extremely dark and disturbing in a lot of ways, that they pull it off to make a really excellent episode out of that, mm-hmm. I think it deserves real kudos. And I like this episode a lot. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, the thing with Chiana at the end where she's, basically sweeps under the rug what John's actions doesn't feel right to me but that's the only thing everything else is just done really really well mm-hmm. yeah I would go with you there this would definitely be like um, a four four and a half for me mostly because of how iconic it is like I said like this mm-hmm. is one of the most memorable episodes of Farscape and yes. don't get me wrong there's lots of really memorable ones to come but I kind of think that like if you told me season two crackers don't matter would be like one of the few episodes that I would be able to remember because like I said I mean I watched this when it first aired I used to have VHS tapes of it somewhere (laughs) but I honestly it's it's not until I'm like doing this rewatch that I'm like oh yeah like that happened yeah but yeah Yeah. I could have told you crackers don't matter for certain Mm -hmm. let's see in Wardrobe Rotch, the only real change is that outfit John has at the end. And I want to talk about Zan's costume. I am... Sure. I like the idea of it, because it kind of reminds me of those like other of those other Delvians we met 
in mm-hmm. um, Rhapsody in Blue. But at the same time, I'm not a huge fan of that weird collar. Yeah. But that goes all the way up to the base of her skull. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if they did that because she was already having, like, I don't know. I'm wondering if it was, like, a makeup thing. Skin? Yeah. I think it probably was, partially, yeah. Because she's, she's showing a lot less skin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, next week we have... The Way We Weren't. Yeah. Okay. Bring your hankies. Yeah, bring <laughs> hankies, people. It's also excellent. Yeah, definitely um, brace for it. <laughs> yeah, brace for it, but it's really good. Again, another iconic Farscape Season 2 episode, and it's all about Aaron, which is the best. Ugh, I love Aaron. And on that note, we are Farscape Friday Podcast. We are on Tumblr and Dreamwith and Gmail. And Farscape Friday on Twitter. And tell us what you think. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. If you get a chance, we would love a review on iTunes. That's how other people can find us. And we will see you next week. All right. Bye-bye.